A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Catch Up with Louise Makshari. I hope you are well. I hope you had a good week. If you didn't, not to worry, there is another one ahead of us, and hopefully that will be better. And if not, there's one after that, and it will eventually get there, I promise you. Um, I had a lovely week, actually. Um, Very, not going to lie, pretty happy that the kids are back at school. I just feel like I really um, prioritized family time this summer um, after a really hectic June and I'm really glad I did that but I just have felt so completely behind I've talked about this before I felt so completely behind on everything um, that it's been quite stressful so I'm looking forward to kind of getting back into routine and hopefully actually answering emails less than I don't know four weeks after I received them my god if you were one of those people I genuinely apologize it's been really hard to stay on top of things other than that I was at the Cork Podcast Festival which you'll hear a little bit more about later which I really really enjoyed it is just so nice to do live shows I never really thought that like a live performance would be a part of my career well that's not true when I was a kid I thought I'd be a musical theater actress and I definitely thought I'd be doing live theater performance but I mean as as things went on and I started in radio and stuff I didn't think it was going to be part of it so it's such a thrill to have it be a thing that I do and I love having the opportunity to go out and meet you guys um you are all brilliant you're such wonderful engaged kind lovely people and also very beautiful. Congratulations. Um, so I just so appreciate everybody who buys tickets. I'm going to be back in Cork at the start of February um, next year. So I'm going to be playing at the... Ev- playing? Is that what I'm doing? Playing? Who do you think you are, Louise? Calm down. I'm going to be talking with other people <laughs> um, at the Everyman Theatre in Cork, which is a much bigger venue for me. So it's a bit scary, but very exciting. So um, I will share details of how you can buy tickets and stuff like that um, as soon as possible. Anywho, um, before we got into the episode this week, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Roisin Murphy of it all. Um, I have been a big fan of Roisin Murphy's over the years, and you may remember I interviewed her for this podcast last year, um, and it was very exciting. I've interviewed her a few times, um, and you know I think it's widely recognized that Roisin Murphy is a an icon of the LGBTQ plus community. Her fans have largely come from that community and um, she has often referred to the fact that she is a gay icon or that she I think she has a quote that's like if she wanted to feel famous all she'd have to do is go to a gay club like you know she we all know the story Um, and then over the last couple of weeks it's been pretty upsetting for a lot of LGBTQ plus fans particularly her trans fans because of some comments that were made online just in case you're not familiar basically via her private 
Facebook account, she made a comment about puberty blockers um, and she said that uh, puberty blockers are fucked, absolutely desolate, big pharma laughing all the way to the bank, little mixed up kids are vulnerable and need to be protected, that's just true. So puberty blockers are, it's medicine that is used for trans kids to delay the onset of puberty. They are widely considered as safe. They're used all around the world and approved for medical use. They're very helpful to young trans kids who, for whom the onset of puberty could be really traumatizing and difficult. The effects of them are absolutely reversible. And I have read so many accounts of people who say that it changed their, they changed their lives for the better. Um, but this idea of like big pharma is kind of conspiracy theory talk for the most part. I mean, obviously the pharmaceutical industry is problematic, but that doesn't mean that every medicine is bad. Um, and so lots of people were really disappointed when this came out because she is held up or has been held up as kind of an icon of the LGBTQ plus community. So she has responded this week um, with a, a screenshotted kind of text apology on her Twitter account and Instagram account. And basically she says that she spent her whole life celebrating diversity. She says she she's never intentionally kind of tried to market herself to any particular demographic as in like I didn't ask the LGBTQ plus community to like me that's that's the way it kind of reads um but she says she's always been proud of her audience and understood the privilege of performing for them um she says I'm so sorry my comments have been directly hurtful to many of you you must have felt a huge shock blindsided by this so abruptly I understand fixed views are not helpful but I really hope people can understand my concern was out of love love for all of us she says I will now completely bow out of this conversation within the public dom domain. I'm not in the slightest bit interested in turning it into any kind of campaign because campaigning is not what I do. Um, blah, 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 blah. She says, my true calling is music. Um, and, you know, she basically goes on to say that she won't be talking about this anymore and that um, she, was, she was unprepared um, to kind of talk about it in the first place. And, you know, people are really disappointed because the thing about it is if you don't understand something maybe you shouldn't say anything about it. And if you say something that your audience finds very upsetting and expresses to you that they're disappointed and that they find it upsetting, then maybe you should do some research, you know, and come back with, you know, a more informed opinion. Or if that really is your opinion, you know, stand by it. Like if that's what you really believe, she's entitled to express her beliefs, even if lots of us disagree with them. But to just kind of launch a grenade by... And even if it's her private Facebook account, it was a it's a publicly viewable comment. Um, and the reality is there's no such thing as private online. Um, if you're going to throw a grenade online, you know, and then people are really upset by it to just be like, well, I'm just not going to talk about it anymore. It, it's just not good enough. Like, I personally know so many LGBTQ plus and specifically trans people who've been so disappointed and hurt by this um, who really resent the suggestion that like, you know, she she hasn't, you know, she didn't she didn't particularly ask to be liked by the LGBTQ plus community because she has referred to it so many times in interviews over the years. And it's just disappointing for people who feel marginalized as it is for someone who they respect and admire to say something problematic in this way to add something, you know, what, what lots of us would feel is damaging to the conversation and then to just be like, well, I'm not going to talk about it anymore because the damage is done, you know? Um, and, and I, a lot of you sent me messages actually asking me to talk about this and I didn't include it in the celeb section because it kind of didn't feel right for that section. Um, but I guess, 
I just want to say, yeah, that I personally am really disappointed. Um, and I think it's always disappointing when someone reveals themselves to have these kind of beliefs. Um, you know, I am, a tr- I hope, an ally to the trans community. I, I certainly would like to be an ally to the trans community. I um, believe that the trans community deserve the same rights as the rest of us just to exist in peace, which is all that they want. Um, and I think that the way that they're, lives are being centered in debate which often comes down to people trying to profit really from column inches and tv hours and you know right-wing conservative people who feel like if they can win people over on the trans issue they can win them over on other issues you know it's so upsetting and it's wrong and I'm disgusted by it trans people make up such a tiny 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 minority Uh, when you look at the statistics, there are so few trans people existing in the world and they are so vulnerable and they are more likely to be assaulted. They are more likely to die by suicide. They are more likely to face problems getting work. They they have more difficult lives than any of us, largely, if you look at the statistics. And the fact that they have found themselves at the center of debate at all is a crime, as far as I'm concerned. Um... And I think I can only imagine how hurtful it would be to have someone who you respect and admire, who you thought was on your side, not be on your side. So I don't really have a lot that I can add other than that, other than to say that if you're trans and you're listening, I'm I'm here, I'm with you. I will always be with you. Um, and to everyone else, if you have concerns about things like puberty blockers, please do research and do research on like, you know, decent <laughs> websites, you know, m- proper medical websites, um, read from experts, because there's a lot of people out there claiming to be experts who aren't. And there's a lot of conspiracy theorists out there who are taking advantage of people's fears to try and, you know, use this issue. And I, I hate even calling it an issue, but these people's lives, you know, as kind of a way of getting people on their side. And it's scary out there. And I've seen it happen with people that I know. We've talked about the impact the internet can have on people. You know, it's it's not great, but there is you know, credible information out there that you can read from credible websites, like, for example, the Mayo Clinic, um, you know, Cedar sinai Hospital, like hospitals all around the world have got great articles online about why puberty blockers are safe, why they're important, um, and, uh, and, and all the rest of the information that you could possibly want to know about them. So, you know, I guess the message is, I'm on your side. I'm so sorry that you've been disappointed. I have also been disappointed. Um, not only disappointed in the kind of, you know, misinformation that that she put out there, but also then in the complete and total failure to really apologize or acknowledge the hurt that was caused properly, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and to the kind of washing of her hands of the whole thing as if it's, you know, as if you can do that you know, when you've, you've centered yourself in the conversation by talking about it publicly is, is wild. So yeah, that's, I guess all I have to say about that. I'm disappointed too. Um, but let's move on with the podcast. There is lots to discuss, including, and I'm very sorry, but it was just, everybody was talking about it. A worm in a woman's brain. This is even more. Hello, my friend. Thank you once again for joining us to bring us through the week's news stories. Guess what happened seven days from today? I know what's happening seven days from today. Tell I'm the people. I'm not sleeping, Louise. I'm not sleeping. No, the book is coming out. 
The book is out in seven days on Thursday, 7th of September. I think like it's different for you because it's a book about like politics. Mm. So there's like so many different people in it that are not people in your life. Whereas mine yeah. is a book about my family, which had its own well, it wasn't about my family, but my family were in it, which yeah, had its own yeah. anxieties. But it is an anxious time for any author, I think. But it's going to be great. Yeah. I have it here. I'm going to start reading it today. I'm very excited. When I hadn't heard from me, I was like, she either thinks it's shit or she hasn't started oh, it. Oh, no, obviously I hadn't started it. You know who I am. Like, obviously <laughs> um, I hadn't started it. Last week, I literally worked, I think, every day from before the kids got up after the kids went to bed all day it was just wild this week is a little easier so I'm starting it today okay now let's get down to business because we need to talk about the electoral commission review sexy yeah, times I know stuff, like I know stuff like this really bores people so I've like waddled it down to a few things that you need to know yeah because it is important so, <clears throat> Okay, so the doll is getting 14 extra TDs and four new constituencies have been announced. This is because Ireland's population keeps getting bigger and bigger mm. and we need more TDs to represent more, not necessarily the areas, but bigger populations mm. of people. We had, you know, some people <clears throat> representing nearly two times the amount of constituents as other people. So they have tried to keep the map as it stood as is like as close to where it was as possible. So 14 new TDs, four new constituencies, Dublin gets five extra seats, which kind of shows you how big Dublin has got. Mm. Um, there's a new constituency in Fingal, which is Dublin North, and a new three-seat Wicklow-Wexford constituency, mm. which is causing all the political dorks a lot of um, excitement because currently, this is the only thing I'm going to tell you about this, but currently in the new Wicklow-Wexford constituency, no one who has already elected lives there. Well, this oh. is the thing. This is why it is exciting. Like the nuts and bolts of it are not very exciting. But what is no. exciting is that it's much harder to win a seat in a constituency where someone is already sitting and has been exactly. there for years and has done things for people and everybody has loyalty yeah. too. Whereas if it's a brand new seat that no one has ever taken before, it's it's fair game. It's open for it's, the taking. It, Exactly, you know, and some seats are Labour seats and some seats, yeah. seats are Fine Gael seats. That's not going to be uh, the case. Not officially, so by the way, the, but just like they, they get handed yeah, down, basically, yeah. you know, that's the way and it goes. So just to go into this, we wee bit about this three-seater in Wicklow, Wexford. It's very rural mm -hmm. um, and it does, uh, I actually noticed our clothes in it where we went for your birthday. Mm -hmm. Lovely. Um, it is rural. But there are no TDs, elected TDs is the one who, who actually actively live in that constituency. Mm. So there'll be some, I think some people may move their TD into the constituency, but they won't move house, if you know what I mean. So they'll stand in that constituency, but they may not live there, that sort of thing. Which, so, is, which is dodgy, really. Yeah, it's not great. I mean, there are TDs who don't live in their constituencies and they don't advertise it. I would encourage anyone at the next election, mm. when someone comes to your door, Ask them if they live in the constituency. You would be very surprised yeah. at the people who don't live in their constituency. Yeah. But we move on. <clears throat> so it'll increase uh, from four by four constituencies from 39 to 43. And Dublin will get four extra seats and a new constituency. It This is not 100%. It has to be approved by the doll. Hmm. But it is very likely um, that it'll go ahead. It also proposes it will cut Tupperary and Leash Offley and the two. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so you will now need 88 TDs to make a government. Yeah. Like, do you have a, sorry, do you have a majority? Do you have a majority? The reason that I, you know, aside from the fact that it is a big story and it does impact our lives, the reason I wanted to talk about it is because this is an opportunity now for political parties to kind of up their ante. Like, I would imagine parties like the Social Democrats, for example, you know, who are a new party and therefore relatively small, would be looking at this as an opportunity well, absolutely. If they're looking at Wicklow, they really have a seat in Wicklow. They mm. have, they had two seats in Wicklow at one point because they had Stephen Donnelly, who is mm. now in Fianna Fáil. But he did. He was a founder of Social Democrats. So people never forget, remember guys. What YouTube the Vincent Brown interview? It's well worth Social it. Social Democrats. It's great TV. Um, <clears throat> so people like um, the Social Democrats will probably take up if they play the cards right, they could pick up a seat in that mm. new constituency. So the way it'll work is. It kind of depends. So three-seaters were usually not very kind to smaller parties because mm-hmm. usually it went Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, and then some mixture of Labour or Sinn Féin, depending mm-hmm. on the constituency. Um, but the number of three-seaters has declined. So what we could see is, now this is just a theory, but smaller parties could pick up there. However, Sinn Féin are on a runaway train at the moment, if anyone looks at the polls. Nobody can catch them. So what we could see is Sinn Féin's confidence mm-hmm. uh, in light of how unconfident they were in the last election. We could see Sinn Féin get very confident. We They could be talking about running three, four people in mm-hmm. one constituency. So, like, for instance, they've kept Donegal. This is the first one I took this. They kept Donegal a five-seater, mm-hmm. um, which a lot of people are very disappointed about because Donegal is massive. So you could yeah. have it. You could have a Don. You could have a TD. Um, driving from one end of his constituency to the other. I say he because it's all men. But it could be driving from one end of his constituency to the other and it could be two, three hours, mm. like, uh, in one way. Yeah. So they're keeping that a five-seater. But Sinn Féin are going to run three. They actually believe they'll take three seats there, three and a five. Yeah. Um, which isn't going to lend itself very well to another smaller party. Yeah. <clears throat> so it is a big deal. It's been long, uh, long, um, a long time coming. Uh, because just as the population gets bigger uh, it just shows you how antiquated the doll is they're going to have to build new seats in the chamber Wow! because there's not going to be enough seats for people because people need to at least be comfortable Yeah. Um, when we're sitting, except for the um, fact that they're never all there so you kind of wonder what the point is just well, saying, just saying. Day, um, um, anyway, look, that's that's the basics. Um, and we uh-huh. you'll be able to have a look and see yourself if there's a new doll seat in your area. And if you have never voted before, honestly, one of the reasons, genuinely one of the reasons that I want to do this on this podcast is so that when the next election comes around, you feel like you know a little bit about the issues and you know a little bit about the people involved in government and in politics because... Your vote is so important and it really counts. So do have a look and see uh, how things are shaping up in your constituency. Okay, next up, I have genuinely avoided this story all week because it, Ugh, I you? like the idea, like horrific. But it is a big story and I've heard people talking about it, so we're going to do it. It's the woman with the worm in her brain. Uh, yeah, guys, this is if not If you need this, to skip forward, not, skip forward. This is not for the squeamish, but for the first time ever <clears throat> in the world... <clears throat> Scientists pulled an eight centimeter long worm alive, wriggling from the brain of an Australian woman. The wiggly little worm had uh, 
buried its way into her frontal lobe uh, and it was found in Canberra. There is videos going around of the surgeon, uh, a woman who removed the brain or removed the worm from the brain. It's actually quite funny. She's quite funny. Um, <clears throat> Dr. Hari Priya Brandy said it definitely was not what we were expecting. Mm. Everyone was shocked. <clears throat> so the woman was 64 and she had had stomach pains. She was fainting. She was having a cough, night switch, and she started for getting really forgetful. Uh, she was taken into hospital in 2021. And then they said that she had a lesion in her frontal lobe. So they opened her up and... Recording in progress. Oh, sorry. I did that by mistake. They opened her up. <laughs> and they opened her up and there it was, a little red parasite. They said it could have been there for two months. Wriggling around in her brain. How did it get um, in? How did it get in? Well, well, she uh, lives in Queensland, North Queensland. And Australia. She, uh, for, yes. This is why. She, not for me. Yeah, she forages for berries and, st- and fruit in the forest and these type of larvae, this is so disgusting, mm. these type of larvae live in the feces of these big snakes. <gasps> I did not think this could get worse. Yeah, so these big snakes um, are like, yeah, basic, basic, basically pythons, um, like Randall around where she lives and they think she might have ate something that a snake might have pooped on and then the the worm grew inside her brain. Um, she said that uh, it just shows us human populations Grow when we move closer and encroach on animal habitat. This is an issue we will see again and again. Okay, we can move on now. Yes, those are the facts. Uh, wow. Um, wow. I hate. I hate. I hate. Story. I'd rather. I'd rather do the snake feces again than this. Yeah, I know. Um, I'm so sick to death of this. We talked about it last week, but it has just gotten so crazy. We have to go back to it. Like it is. I don't even think I'm good. At, I'm not even good at explaining it because I'm so annoyed. But anyway, so the row <clears throat> about Luis Rubiales, the Spanish Royal Spanish Football Federation president, has rumbled on. He was suspended because of his unconsensual kiss of the World Cup winning player Jenny Hermoso during or at the end of the World Cup final. Yeah, we told you about he this claimed, last week, so you probably yeah, know the, the, he, the basics. Yeah, he claimed it was consensual. She said it wasn't. The video shows that he jumped on top of her and that it wasn't. And they threatened Jenny Hermoso and said that, you know, she would have to go along with it. She refused. And now, to be fair, the Spanish government has backed um, Hermoso. They have called. They had called for the expulsion of Rubiales. He was suspended last week, um, and then so the it's just building and building now. So the La Liga president, which is the Spanish Premiership, Spanish Premier League, probably one of like the greatest leagues in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, the president of that league said, "This isn't about political after right." Ruby Alley's undermined not only Jenny's dignity, but that of Spain as well. Uh, a Spanish tennis star came out um, and said, Carlos Alcaraz, is that up to your yes. standard, Louise? Yep. I'll accept it. He, he was talking <laughs> about it. And anyway, lots and lots of people have come out and said, listen, let's just call this a day now and get rid of him. Mm. Um, and 
he so yeah he was suspended however Jorge Vilda, the president or sorry the Spanish national team's coach and he is Rubiales friend um, supported him at first when he said he wouldn't resign, but then released a statement and said, I regret deeply that the victory of Spanish women's football has been harmed by the inappropriate behaviour that our, until now, top leader, Luis Rubiales, has carried out that he himself has recognised. However, we know that's not true. A number of former players have come out and said that they had underwent sexist behaviour from Rubiales previously, mm-hmm. and now there are male Spanish players <clears throat> saying that they will not play they should all be saying for that, by the way the national for the national team yeah um if something isn't done mm-hmm. it has now leaked and the other football because ruby alley's is also a junior president in uefa and the champions league draw is on this week and everyone is talking about him because even though he's been suspended by the spanish uh federation he has not been suspended by uefa Mm. And UEFA, as we know, is coming down with problems. But um, he still hasn't resigned from that. To add to the drama, you're starting to see where he gets it. To add to the drama, the mother of Luis Rubiales is now in hospital because she went on hunger strike in her local chapel. Um, They're from a wee town in Andalusia, where I also found out his dad used to be the mayor. Mm-hmm. Are we seeing why this guy has a lot of issues mm-hmm. with being told what to do and a lot of privilege? Mm-hmm. So um, his little mommy, Angelis, Angelis um, she went under the chapel and went on hunger strike. Then with the heat and her angina, she had to get taken and they, sorry, she went under the church and with her heat, with the heat and her angina, she got taken out and she's in hospital now. The priest came out and said that she will not be back. Um, but she is fine as far as we know. But it has started a longer conversation in Spain about how we treat all women. But um, this is going to be the same people are saying, oh, it's a reckoning. It's like Spain's Me Too movement or whatever. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, players all around the world have been uh, supporting Jenny Hermoso. Yeah, it's been great to see. In, in lots of different ways. There was an American football team went out wearing wristbands. Um, the women who have been playing in America have also, um, men and women, sorry, have, have been wearing kind of indications of support for her. And actually, my favorite bit was um, this week, the uncle of Luis Ruiz. Alice um, came out and said all of our family stands with Jenny uh, called his nephew a cowardly man said he's obsessed with power with luxury and with women he needs re-education on how to treat women he said because there's all this controversy in this Ruby Alice's guy pa- guy's past. Like, he, this is not oh, his yes, first slimy this, time. Yeah. yeah. So he said, yeah. Luis invited me to the, this is a party that Luis Ruby Alice got into trouble over. It's a Salabrania party. Brings to mind the Bunga Bunga parties. So Luis invited mm-hmm. me to the Salabrania party. There were a lot of teenage girls. I said, they could be your daughters. And he was losing his mind. Girls who are paid money. Were they minors? I can't rule it out. He said they were from clubs. Like it's this man is so gross. This man is so gross. He's so gross. He's just so gross. <laughs> like it's horrific. Um, I am revolted. Yeah, he's a bad man and he needs to go down. And the fact that it's taking this long is sick. Um, worth mentioning just while we're in football chat, we don't have to go into it too deeply, but Vera Powell, who uh, is has been the Irish women's national team manager, um, it was decided this week at a meeting of the IFA that she would not be uh, yes. retaining that Her position. Con- Yes, yeah, so her contract was due Sorry, to the Sorry, FAI, made IFA? Who's the, that, the Irish Farming Association? <laughs> um, yes, well done. The FAI. Um, 
uh, another very important organisation. Um, yeah, Vera Poy had made it clear that she wanted to stay on as Ireland Women's Manager, but mm-hmm. her uh, contract was ended. Well, it is ending anyway, but she wouldn't be kept on by the FAI. They had a six-hour meeting on Tuesday, and they decided that it was the end of the road. Uh, the Jonathan Hill, who is the CEO, said on behalf of FAI, I would like to thank Vera for her hard work and equipment over the past four years and wish her well for the future. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, so what has actually happened here is there has been a number of allegations made about Vera Powell when mm. she was a football coach in America. She did not take part in the review or the inquiry into her behaviour. Now, she said she didn't take part because she wasn't allowed to record her interviews. Mm-hmm. But at the time, the FAI completely stood behind her and said, no, she's a great coach. None of our team have any issues with her. Mm. We'll let her batter on. Then, before the World Cup was about to kick off, another, um, like, further historical details came out in The Athletic. And they were talking about bullying, weight shame, and her general attitude towards some of the girls. I believe it was Houston in Texas that she coached. So... That kind of soured everything. It was just before they went to the World Cup as well. Mm. But that kind of soured everything. And they and the FAI were quite quiet about it. And you could tell that there was like, they weren't as full-throated in their support of her as they were before. Mm. And then, so she went to the World Cup. Everything was going well. But as we talked about on this podcast, there was some issues on the pitch with her and not issues, but it was a bit of a discussion or tension. In a, tension on the pitch between Katie McCabe, the captain and Arsenal player and um, Vera Poi. Katie McCabe was saying that she wanted a certain sub taken off and someone put on. Vera Poi said, I'm not doing that. I'm the manager. And basically from what the Irish examiner have said, is that the reason not to keep Verapoy on was they were concerned about the allegations about her past and that she hadn't had she doesn't have the confidence of the team anymore. However, this is the first time the FAI have got rid of a manager since John Delaney took out Derryman Martin O'Neill mm. um, in 2018, and the next year John Delaney was found to have been getting up to everything. John Delaney was getting up to. Um, there has been a lot of discussion about would any other manager who got a team to the World Cup be taken out of their post mm. when they returned I don't know enough about women's football or men's football to answer that question but there is a lot of kind of if she was a man would this be happening because as we have seen for many years men get accused of bullying and terrible uh, behaviour all the time and they stay in their jobs so I don't know yeah but that's Fair not right either hasn't... like I mean we don't know no, I we know, don't I know, know. Is we don't the reality know. is we don't know yeah and Vera Poy hasn't said anything. The players haven't said anything. So it remains to be seen. But we have two interim managers um, taken over because we have a match in Hungary soon. But yeah, that's the end of the road for, for Vera. And we will watch and see what happens next. Um, now, finally, just very quickly, I thought we'd have a nice story for once. Um, they're introducing therapy dogs in University College Cork. It's called the MCC Pause Program. This is so cute. <laughs> So UCC have launched a new program that will allow their students to spend time with therapy dogs to combat stress and anxiety. Trained service dogs um, will be brought to weekly activities to promote social connection, reduce feelings of stress and anxiety and support overall well-being. Um, They said that there has been a lot of research 
Um, and data that has found that dogs can decrease cortisol levels, which is panic. We know that. Mm. And stress-related hormones. And, oh my God, I just looked at one of the photos. It's so cute. But the UCC president, John O'Halloran, said, the evidence is clear from lowering stress to boosting social connections. There are many health benefits from spending time with a companion dog, whether one owns it or not. Whether a new year returning student adjusting to college life can be busy and stressful, we hope this initiative will bring great comfort, happiness and support. I love it so much. Sorry, I just opened the article on the journal.ie and the top comments. Oh my God. Journal.ie commenters are just like the worst. And to think lads lied about their age to go fight in the trenches in World War One. <laughs> Like a parody of themselves, truly. Yeah, it really is. There is uh, nothing people like. Honestly. There's nothing sad. People love them being horny for the past. I tell you what, um, when th- when things were demonstrably worse. I know. I know it was a better time, was it? A better time. A better time. We sure, dying of trench foot. Yeah, sounds amazing. <laughs> um, Aoife, thank you so so much. As we thank discussed, you. Aoife's book is out next week. Next week, you will hear Aoife talking about her book specifically to me, which is going to be exciting. Um, if you want to pre-order, the link is in the show notes goodbye you for more bye bye Now, as I said at the start of the podcast, I had a great time at the Quirk Podcast Festival last weekend recording an episode of the podcast live. I am going to post the full episode on the Patreon next week. So if you're a patron, you'll be able to hear it from start to finish, including the news section and the uh, celeb section where we picked one topic to discuss rather than doing the news stories. Because I figured the people who were coming to Quirk probably would have listened to last week's episode and wouldn't want to hear the same stories discussed again. Um, So yeah, that'll all be on the Patreon next week. Um, but I definitely, definitely wanted everyone to hear my chat with Emer McLeisett and Sarah Breen, who traveled to Cork to chat to me for the podcast festival. Um, of course, you know that their uh, last edition of the Oh My God, What a Complete Ashling books came out this week. Um, listen to more about that, about their journey as authors and where they're headed now. I hope you enjoy. It is time to bring out my next guests. As I mentioned at the start, they are the authors of the Oh My God, What a Complete Ashling books. And they're good friends of mine and gas tickets all together. So um, set your phasers to laugh. Um, please welcome Sarah Breen and Emer McLeisett. <laughs> Sorry now, I would stand up with the knee. The good knee. I was about to say hi, gals, but I'm sure there are men here too. <laughs> There's a couple. I was very, I very nearly said Sarah McLeisett and Emer Breen there. That does happen us. Or we just get called the Ashlings. Well, I actually yeah. wanted to ask you about that because I know you absolutely love that Emer. Yeah. Like it's grand. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's grand, but like often we have been called just Ashling. Like, Ashling, can I get you something in Ashling? It's like, but we're not actually called Ashling. Yeah. We have names, but, you know, Ashling works too. Yeah. But you kind of made that bed, though, because the whole thing is that there's Ashling in all of us, right? So really, we are all Ashling. Yeah, that's true, but we're not literally Ashling. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we're just happy to be going places and talking to people. So yeah. we'll just answer to it. It's fine. <laughs> um, so obviously, your final Ashling book is coming out this week. How are we emotionally? I'm not sleeping. Yeah, Sarah is. Typically, I'm the one who doesn't sleep, but Sarah is struggling. I had to hypnotize myself to sleep last night because I'm getting about four or five hours a day. I don't know what it is. I just have a lot of feelings, and I don't know if it's excitement, if it's nerves. I'm just, there's just a lot going on in my mind, so I really need to kind of 
try and listen to a man telling me, please go asleep and <laughs> listen to raindrops falling. And I think working. Harry Styles does one of those read you a bedtime story. Oh, yeah, you do that. Your husband would love that. I would find that very distracting. <laughs> 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 Maybe it wouldn't get you in sleep mode. No, I don't think so. Um, Ooh, sexy. <laughs> so, I mean, what do you think it is, though? Do you like? There's so much going on, I suppose, because there's the fact that this thing that you've been working on for years is coming to an end. But then also, presumably, there's a lot of pressure about how people are going to receive this ending because people love and care for. Like the majority of the people in this room have read the books I asked at the beginning, and people well, thanks, really guys. love Ashling. So, are you feeling scared? Yeah. Definitely. Like, it's a lot of, like, I say this to Sarah all the time. I forget when we're writing the books or talking about them that people actually are then going to read the words and, yeah. like, you know, form opinions. And they have thoughts about what they want to happen for Ashling and to Ashling. And we ultimately get to make that decision. So you are a bit worried that you've made the wrong decision for some people and they're not going to like it or... You know, if you have favorite TV characters and then something happens, you're like, oh, why did they do that? So the worry is that people will be like, why did they do that? But some people have already read the book. Um, Me, I have. Yeah. <laughs> and most people, I think all people, yeah, have I really mean, liked it. So that has eased the fears a little bit. Yeah, yeah, the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive so far. But when it's the fifth book in a series, people have very specific ideas of where they would like to see Ashling end up and who they would like to see her be with romantically. And we can't please all of the people all of the time. So I know that there's some people probably going to be disappointed with what happens in the finale, but I guess we're, we're happy with it and we're happy with where Ashling is. But it's hard knowing that some people will probably be a bit displeased with us. Although I think that most people will you know, enjoy her final journey. I think they'll come around to it. Yeah, I don't think anybody could be really annoyed. Well, that's the thing, because... Because she's happy. And we know that's Ashling... That's not a spoiler, is it? No, no, I mean, <laughs> happy ending. But, I mean, we probably know Ashling better than anyone, and we are really happy with where she is in her life at the end of the book. So we just we just want everybody else to be happy, too. Well, you created Ashling, and I obviously don't want to make you do the whole, you know, spiel, but, like, you created Ashling in your apart in your house that you lived in as youths. Oh, Sorry, youths. still youths, obviously, <laughs> but like younger youths. Yeah, we were a little bit younger. We were in our early 20s and Emer and I had met at college and we wound up living together in a flat and we just did what all 20-something friends did at the time. We went out all the time, so we spent a lot of days hungover, um, sitting, watching reality TV under blankets and we started just shooting the breeze about this specific type of girl that we'd seen. Like, you know, we worked with her. I was on the JJ Rapid Express up and down to Carlos sitting beside her on the bus. There was a bit of her, you know, in each of us, in our friends. And we just talked about this character all the time. We eventually gave her a name and it kind of It kind of went from there. It was just kind of a little joke we made one day. And then we just kept adding characteristics and what would we call her? And I remember the day we named her, like what would her name be? And we were like, well, it's like either Ashling Keir at Maeve or Neve. It would have to be an <laughs> Irish name for sure. <laughs> All names my mother considered for me when I was born. Um, and then we chose Ashling because that's the one most likely to be misspelled. Yes. And that's what would really annoy Ashling. So And it annoys everyone. Like you are Emer. So there's like eight different spellings for Emer and you get crossed when people miss spell it as you should you know and that's how Ashton feels about her name yeah are you personally sad to be saying goodbye to Ashling? like did it feel sad to kind of finish the book um in some ways yeah I mean I felt a lot of relief because the last book deal we signed was for three books so I remember when we were signing that like I would I immediately felt like so much pressure because three books is a massive project 
and I always have this worry that I'm not going to fulfill a contract or I'm going to let people down. So part of me was definitely relieved that we got the three books done, we got the final book done. But yeah, it's a really sad time now because so many of the things that we're doing are like the final time we'll do this. Like this is probably the final time me and Emery will ever do a podcast together talking about Ashling books. So I think it's a mix. Oh, that is sad. That is sad. <laughs> isn't I it? feel sad. Like everything is so final now. I think as well, seeing people's reaction as people are starting to read the book and are getting excited about it. I think when people are finishing it and like we get a lot of messages on Instagram and stuff like that about how people feel about Ashling, I think that'll be really sad. Yeah. Also, practically speaking, like we're this unemployed. Means we're <laughs> unemployed. So, yeah. um, so we have to like basically get a new job, come up with a new book or com- like, yeah, I need a new job. <laughs> you guys are our best friends. Um, and you were before this, and you are now. What impact has writing Ashling together had on your friendship? I think it's definitely brought us closer yeah, together. Because we see each other constantly now. We see each other like recreationally. <laughs> like we've just been on holidays together, a big group of us. We were away for two weeks. But because of work, I know that I rarely have to be like, oh, I must schedule some time with Emer because see you all the time which is great yeah like Sarah lived in America for a few years before a couple of years before we started working on the first Ashling book and we stayed friends but like we wouldn't have been in constant contact really at all like yes but you visited me twice when I lived in the States and none of my other friends did that (laughs) (laughs) when Emer McLeisted says yeah I'll come over and visit you she means it she does hey listen Phoenix Arizona is delightful in (laughs) September (laughs) it's a a dry heat it's hot Um, yeah I think it's definitely brought us closer and I think a lot of people um, ask us like oh what have you thought about or what you know what causes conflict like nothing yeah. well working together does put a certain amount of pressure on your relationship but we at the very start of all this we were like listen this is a job like it's wonderful to work together and it's such a fun project but at the end of the day our friendship is more important than that because our agent when we signed with an agent Marion Keys connected us to her agent um, she was like well I think you should do a legal document girls just in case one of you gets sick or you know you can't finish the books and we were like I don't think we need a prenup I think yeah. we'll be fine she was yeah. like what if you fall out and then there's issues and I was like I mean can't see it happening and if we fall out and if there's issues well then it's just over you know yeah. but the thing is there were issues of course there were issues because e- both of you have had lives in all of this time like yeah. how many years is it since you started writing 2016, six. I think. Is it six? Six? Seven. Seven. Yeah. <laughs> Maths. Okay, good. so seven years. Like, I mean, you seven? have... Yes, it is. You have more children. Yeah, yeah. I, have, I had two babies in that time. And, like, as a colleague, Emer was just so understanding and used to come to my house for all the meetings. And, you know, our publishers... I got to hold babies. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> Not always great, though, when, you know, you have a job to do. And our publishers were wonderful as well. Like, I had... I have... Still do have kind of all the meetings at my house. So that flexibility has been amazing and that kind of understanding of life getting in the way. But that's a really good thing about working in the creative arts, that it's not like, you know, very black and white. People are so sound about things like that because you can't get blood from a stone and you just have to work with people's lives. Yeah, but some friendships would suffer as a result of things naturally coming up. I mean, life is not straightforward, let's be honest. And I know because I'm friends with you guys, that like, you know, you've both had challenges and things that might disrupt the process, but it doesn't seem to have ever caused any disruption in your friendship. No, it hasn't really. And if anything, it kind of made it stronger. Like twice when we were doing books, so we did five books, this is our fifth book. So the publishers would have liked if it was one every year for five years, but it's actually taken seven years because twice we kind of pulled the plug on a book and said, we're taking a year off because... I wasn't very well, I had to go into hospital, stuff like that. So 
Sarah was so understanding and so like I remember the first time we I was like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. It was actually Sarah that suggested, why don't we just take a year off? Like, Yeah, yeah you were having your struggles and I was just like, well, I just don't think that we need to do a book this year. We can just postpone it and do it next year. And like, we had already been, had done two successful books with our publisher. So they, we'd curried a lot of favour with them. You know, they were like trying to look Sorry, after Sorry, not us. just two successful <laughs> books. Like, it is literally called a publishing phenomenon. Like, you know, you had a bit of power. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. And we weren't afraid to flex our Well, muscles. you weren't afraid. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, listen, let me make the call. <laughs> and literally, it takes an email and you just go, look you know there's a there's a health issue here we can't do it and they were like okay well this kind of scuppers us a bit but that's our problem not yours so but also how amazing when you're going through something like I know from my own some things that like to have someone else go I'll have that conversation yeah it's amazing it is amazing and like but it was also easy for me because I was just able to I was able to speak on your behalf and Mm. like I knew they couldn't be mad at me they couldn't be mad at you either so it was nice to be that buffer yeah that's true you didn't need the stress but like we've wor- I've definitely worked in jobs where like having to leave 10 minutes early was so stressful. Yeah. Like it doesn't need to be like that. It's yeah. crazy. I think the stress that some people work under and I know that like, you know, there are work hours for a reason, whatever, but capitalism, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's one of the good things about the, um, one of the good things that have, has come out of the pandemic is that like a lot of people have much more flexible working lives now. Yeah. And like people who can work from home and they can, as long as they get the job done yeah. and it gets done and it's the same with our work, you know, as yeah. long as you get the words on the page. I remember fine. a friend of mine um, who lives over in the West and she desperately wanted to go down to a four day week and like take the pay cut because she had three small children and she just really, really needed and they, the company she worked for, it was a big company and they just would not let her do it and they said she couldn't work from home and absolutely not and then the pandemic happened and what happened everybody worked from home and it was fine yeah. and it's just like they just didn't want to let it was just made but they're no afraid sense to, to set me. a precedent as well it's like well if we do this for you we have to do this for everyone it's like okay mm. do it for everyone yeah. yeah well also I think the idea of something can be very like some people some people start from a place of no. Um, <laughs> that's a housewife reference. Um, some people start from a place of no and just immediately it's like, well, that won't work. That won't happen. We can't do that. And it's only when they're forced to kind of sort it out that they realize, oh, actually, this is grand. And now, no, you can't come into the office. A lot of people are not even given the option to go into the office. Um, you guys did all of your work at home, right? Yeah, we always worked from home. Yeah, crazy hours. Yeah, <laughs> middle of the night, first thing in the morning. When we first started writing the first book, we were both still working full time and the book deal was tiny. Like it wasn't, you know, I can quit my job. No, but no book, no Irish book deal. No, you can quit your job, by the way. It's it's not quitting job money. I always feel like it's very important to say that because I think people have an idea that like, oh, you write a book, you make loads of money. Like I made, I think I lost money on my book because (laughs) the amount of hours that I put into it versus the money that I got, like it's not. And we have to split everything 50, 50. Yeah, I I think to make, to to be successful as a writer, in Ireland, you have to make your money outside of Ireland. Yeah. That's really the way it and is. And you have to do a book every year. Yeah, you, you have, have to, to be that prolific. Yeah. It just, the, I don't know, it's just like the only reason we were able to become full-time authors is because we got a UK book deal for two, was it two of the Ashling books? Three. Three of the Ashling books. Um, Michael Joseph, which is a subsidiary of Penguin, mm. bought the rights to three of the Ashling books. And that meant I, ha- I had given up my job, but I was looking for other jobs. And then Sarah was able to give up her Quitting job. Quitting time. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah was like, I'm quitting my job. <laughs> <laughs> Just like storm out of the office. Goodbye. <laughs> so what are you going to do next? Great question. <laughs> <laughs> 
So as Emer said, we're unemployed <laughs> as of next week when we get our final payment. Now, I think we, w- we want to stay in publishing. Like, it's been such a wonderful experience doing the Ashling books. And now, you know, the fifth, writing the fifth book was probably the most consistent we've worked. And it was the most seamlessly we've written a book. So we, we've finally gotten really good at it. And then it's like, oh, closing time. But um, no, we, we would like to do individual books, I guess. But I don't want to have a book out the same I year am- as Emer McLeod's. <laughs> I am tormented by how people come up with ideas for books. I know we've written five books, but like we had the character already. But I am trying to come up with a completely separate idea, and I'm like, hmm, our agent is just oh, really hounding is, us. She's behind me, breathing on my neck. <laughs> <laughs> I am like, what can I think of a book? I'm like, what about a girl from a small town in an Ireland? Like, no, I've no, already written it, that. It. <laughs> it's, I don't know how people do it. But how how is it doing? Trying to do that separately? Like, I feel like I would just automatically be onto Sarah and be like, Sarah, I'm thinking blah blah blah. blah. Like, are you still doing that? I mean, I I haven't really started. Yeah, I think mm, I will I mean, be. We I haven't know. really done anything yet. Yeah. <laughs> so. We, we, as we're telling our agent, we're waiting for the, all this to die down and for the book to come out. And well, then that we'll seems start fair. Thinking. Yeah, I think that is yeah, reasonable. Yeah, but that book comes out next week, so now I'm going to have to stop lying about that and come up with a new <laughs> But the way we work as well, we, d- we turn around the books in such a short space of time that we don't really give ourselves much time to think. And I think that's my problem. I'm afraid to think. I mm, feel like I have too. to be working all the time. But to write books, you have to just allow yourself time to sit there and think. Whereas if I feel if I'm not typing, well, I'm not working and I'm wasting my time. Yeah. So I need to just schedule some thinking time and then no doubt the ideas will just come. So many of them. But I think that's true for like almost all creative professions or fields or whatever you want to call it. Like y- if you... Y- you have to have the time and space for the ideas to come. Yes. Like if you fill your every minute of every day, as I do, like, I mean, I would never have a silent shower, for example, because then I would be alone with my thoughts. I need my podcast on, obviously. Um, but then where's the room for the ideas? Like, but, th- but it is scary to yeah. have a silent shower. Yes, and I d- I, the idea of doing like 100% of a book, I'm only used to doing 50% of a book. So the idea that somebody else is not simultaneously working and just feeding chapters into a document is very daunting for me. And it reassuring like you that you're a bit... Like, I'd be writing chapters, I'm like, oh, God, this is shite. At least Sarah's ones will be good. Mm. And then she'll say the same thing about <laughs> me. And then it kind of mesh, you know, muddle it together and it turns out all right. I have heard every author friend that I have, and I have more than is normal, um, always is convinced that their books are terrible. Like, absolute dog shit at some stage in the writing process. It's awful. And it's always not true. Every week, you were text me to tell me her column in the Irish Times is shit. And every week it's brilliant. <laughs> but she can't see it. So I can see why that would get in the way of your process as well. Yeah. yeah. So that's why we procrastinate and we do anything rather than think. Yeah. <laughs> is there no temptation to just like do a spin-off? I mean, it's kind of comforting to have it in the back pocket. Yeah, yeah we're not going to build any bridges now. Or yeah. I mean, burn any bridges when we're, when we're leaving our publisher. And I think they would love us to do an Ashling book every year. Forever. Until the end of time. Well, I mean, at Ross O'Carroll Kelly. Yeah, I mean, yeah. but he, it's, his books, the ideas are still so strong. We are afraid that we would be dragging the arse out of Ashling and that, I don't know, it would lose momentum and that we'd be doing it as a chore. Whereas going out after five books, it feels like we're going out in a high. Mm. It feels like that maybe, you know, in 10 years, 20 years time, we could revisit it. But at the moment, no plans to do but it. But I feel like there's a lot of... Ashling story still there mm. like that I'd love to this sounds so wanky but like you know I'm like oh I'd love to know what Magella is up to would yeah. be up to yes. and like I, that would be our job to write that but I feel like <laughs> that would be fun yeah because I mean in yeah. theory you could just I think about it and then be like oh that's what Magella is Magella and Pablo they're my oh favorite oh my god me too so well that's why I'm asking because I'm like I would love to read a spin-off series about Magella and Pablo or Sive <laughs> Like, you know, which would be completely different. Oh, and when the first book came out, actually, and 
before we had were offered a sequel or whatever, we were wondering between ourselves, would it be cool to do an Ashling prequel? Like to go back to like Ashley yeah. and Magellan in secondary school? Yes. And all the hijinks and all that kind of nostalgic stuff. So yeah. I mean maybe somebody will give us a massive bag of money to do that <laughs> <laughs> but I think you're I mean I think it makes sense like it, it, everybody always wants to go out on a high and I mean my god it has been a high like are you able to kind of wrap your head around the popularity of Ashling? I'm not really I don't think I don't think you are either no yeah. like it, it I like to me it's just me and Sarah like Doing our bits. Like two clowns <laughs> just having a laugh. No, we, did a, we were signing orders in the Eason Warehouse the other day. And in one day, we signed 4,650 books. And as we were signing them, you know, we were chatting because it's seven hours of writing your name. And I was just saying that, like, each one of these books is going to be packaged and sent out to one person. And each one, these books are all pre-sold. Yeah. Like, these are all... These books are all sold. Like, that's like lots of authors in Ireland would not sell that many books ever, like at all. A book that, like, I don't know if my books sell that many. <laughs> like, you know, that's that's huge. It is huge. It's hard to kind of see it, though. It's hard to put, like imagine those that it's for, like that you're mm. selling those thousands of books. I just find it hard to kind of connect with that. But then you do events like we do events like this. At book, at book festivals and you meet people afterwards and they come up and tell you like, oh, Ashling got me through this or I read Ashling when this happened or, you know, it reminds me of a really happy time and that's when you kind of feel connected to it. Yeah. But, yeah. Because the thing about Ashling is, like, obviously they're great fun and as I said at the start, like, they're like a warm hug but you guys from the get-go have kind of confronted quite significant, like, social issues in the books. You know, we've really seen, we've seen domestic violence. We, obviously there was a lot of um, stuff kind of at the time of repeal that you guys did campaigning and, and also including abortion stories in the book. Like, was that a conscious decision? It was for the first book, but it was a conscious decision given that we thought nobody was going to read that book. Like genuinely, in hindsight, you're like, oh yeah, it was a great success. But back then we didn't know anyone was going to read it. So we were kind of like, what are we going to write this story about? And then we just, I remember we were sitting in the playroom in Sarah's house and we were like, what's, what are the issues affecting women of as she was late 20s at the time? And it was access to abortion. And this was before a repeal vote had been announced. You know, it was in the mix, but it hadn't been announced. It was before the campaigns had really kicked into like very publicly campaigning. So we did include an abortion storyline and then it just happened, the book happened to come out as the repeal campaign was really kicking up a gear. So it was kind of timing was just- God, I had actually never thought about that because at the time I remember it just being like, oh, well, this makes total sense. But, it, but you're right, it, the timing of, because obviously there's a massive gap between when you write a book and when it actually comes out. That is remarkable. Yeah, so the first book is almost out of like old fashioned yeah. it's like a little time capsule because in the book it's still I mean I know women still do have to travel but in the book there's no other option but to travel yeah. whereas now if we were writing that book now it will be different and actually we've been working on adapting Ashling for the screen and you know we're writing it as if it's today so that changes yeah. you know so the character doesn't have to travel yeah which is you know it's just interesting to see in those few years how things have changed I mean there's a lot more to go but yeah, yeah it's interesting well tell us a little bit about that then because I know I've heard people ask you that question a hundred times asking for the screen like what's 
what's going on how is that yeah so after the first book came out and was popular we were approached by actually multiple different companies which was very exciting um you know thinking about bringing ashing to the screen and we had a really nice meeting with element pictures and we just felt very safe in their hands and they had this really strong pitch for us that ashling would be great as a film and we had never in our wildest dreams imagined that it would be on the screen so we started working with them and we developed it for a couple of years which is normal it takes that long apparently i found struggled with that a little bit because <laughs> <laughs> just we turned around the book so fast and then it's like this process takes months and months but anyway and um, we were developing it for the screen and it was going quite well like we were learning on the job because writing a book and writing a film are hugely different skills um, and then the pandemic happened and we were approached by Element again with a suggestion that we might turn it into a TV show. Yeah, they had had the big success with normal people. Maybe you've and heard of it. Maybe you've heard know. of it. Yeah. <laughs> maybe you remember those episodes of maybe Live Maybe you binged it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they had had huge success with normal people, which was obviously an adaptation of a Sally Rooney book. And um, things were just pivoting to TV more so than film. And... It actually worked out well in the end because adapting a book into a 90, 90 minute, like a tight 90 rom-com is very difficult. And we were having to lose lots of what was happening in the book and it just wasn't really working. So then they said, let's turn it into a TV show. And it made so much more sense. We were able to bring back lots of the episodes. And actually at the time they were developing conversations with friends as a movie. And then they turned that into a TV show yeah, instead. So it wasn't just us. No. It happened Sally Rooney. <laughs> <laughs> so we are still working on those <coughs> TV scripts. Um, it's really difficult. The books, if you've read them, are written in the first person. So it's all Ashling's thoughts. And that's really hard to turn into like multi-characters on Oh my God, on I would screen. not have a clue where to even It's begin. really difficult. And like, even going from like a film to a TV show, it's another skill set again that you have to have. So we're again learning on the job and I think we're on our third or fourth, I keep kicking over the water, I'm sorry, third or fourth redraft of the pilot. But it's been challenging, but like it's really interesting the difference between writing a book and writing a pilot. And then they come to you and they're like, oh, we're just meeting with Apple tomorrow. We're meeting with... And you're just like, oh, that oh, sounds exciting. Tell them we say hello. <laughs> <laughs> so you will be working together still. Oh, yeah. yeah. We, ha we have that. I don't think we'll ever be free of this project. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be working on this for the next while. We actually have stuff due in the next couple of weeks. So that's another thing to keep us from thinking. And when you're thinking about your solo projects, are you thinking tonally kind of along the same lines? Or are you going to go completely off piste? Like... I don't really, like, I don't tend to read, like, certain genres of books. I just kind of read books that I think sound like I'm interested in. And I, I don't know what kind of book I want to write. Like, I love books about the apocalypse, which couldn't be further from Ashling. So <laughs> I'm like, will I write a book about an apocalypse? Maybe I will. So I don't really, I think this is part of the problem with, like, coming up with an idea. Because you can literally write a book about anything. Mm. And it's like, how do you decide? Yeah. I don't know. I need some. I wish someone would just tell me. Write a book about this. And we're like, okay, I'll do that. Write a book about the apocalypse. <laughs> okay, I'll do that. Yeah. But, but it's literally what happened to us with, oh my God, when a complete Ashling, somebody came up to us and said, will you write a book, book about this? And we did. But they didn't, they wanted originally to be like a, not like a novel. Well, they don't publish fiction generally, like Gill books. They do like a lot of your Nevin Maguire cookbooks and lifestyle books. And I think when they approached us, it was based off the popularity of the Facebook group. And we assumed that they sort of wanted maybe an illustrated book of Ashlingisms or like a cute little thing that you might get in your stocking at Christmas. And me and Emer saw it as maybe an opportunity to do something, to work together on something that 
would bring Ashling maybe to a wider audience, like our mams might get it. <laughs> so we suggested doing a novel and they were like, okay, we'll do a pitch and we'll see. So we did the pitch and they were like, fine, we'll, we'll take a chance on you two. They were like, fine, write a novel. And we were like, oh, what have we done? <laughs> <laughs> and do they do they publish other novels now or is it still just you guys? Not really. No. They do a bit of um, young adult, like Sinead Moriarty writes young yeah. adult stuff for them, but like it's No Nevin is still going strong and your Doreen Allens and... Yeah, fair play yeah, to Nevin. Not much fiction. I love how Nevin mispronounces so many things. <laughs> does he? Yeah. Like what? Celerac. He says oh, Celerac? Wow. Yeah, he On does. the telly? He does say Celerac, yeah. it, it proves what a big star he is because no one is correcting him. I feel like even if you corrected him, he'd be like, no. <laughs> Celerac. I'd respect that, yeah, to be yeah. honest. You're Nevin Maguire. Do what you fucking yeah, want. Do whatever you, know what you want. Mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so... You're going to be saying goodbye. Well, you're not really saying goodbye to Ashing, though, because you're still doing the TV show. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah. We have that. So you will probably be on a podcast again talking about Ashing with you. probably Emer. will. That's true, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I have to stop, like, sobbing at night. Yeah. <laughs> it's not over. It's not over yet. I don't think you have anything to worry about. I really don't. Having read the book, like, and knowing how much people love Ashing and how much people love you guys. I mean, you guys have... I mean, you've become... <coughs> Excuse me, like big Irish personalities. Let's be honest. Don't know about that. Have we? <laughs> I think so. Can I ask you kind of a bold question? Go, Go on. on. <coughs> I'm so sorry. This like, is the tail end of something. It's not a new illness. Um, you've done a lot of interviews with Ryan Tuberty over the years. Yeah. Does it feel weird that you're not going to be doing an interview with Ryan Tuberty about this yes. book? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Next, next, I mean, we were we were. Scheduled. Signed up to go out and do the Ryan Tuberty show, and he's been really, really supportive and nice. And and this has been like so when you have a, a big book coming out like your publicity is scheduled months in advance and there's so much politics around so if you do say an interview with Ryan Turbody well then nobody else on Radio One will do an interview with you and then oh RTE are total pricks about this <laughs> yeah. like even if you're in RTE I often f fell foul of this where I'd have something booked for my show and then they'd be like oh well Brendan wants to do it so you you, you can't do it until after Brendan like all this yeah if you agree to do some of the bigger shows like if you agree to do the Late Late Show you're not allowed even look at somebody else no <laughs> from any organization from any organization and like your book publicist has to like make sure sign a contract nobody else <laughs> publishes anything about it and nobody yeah. like it's it's, it's so political it's not actually just people from the rte canteen yeah. <laughs> so we've been booked on tubs for like months and months and now we're gonna go we just it's gonna be brendan courtney interviewing us we don't like i'm sure he's great and everything but it's it's, it's just a whole sad. different thing yeah i was saying we should really i mean we're not friends with ryan Tuberty or anything but you know we're acquaintances and i was like i think maybe like we should text him maybe yeah. on the day and be like we we're really sad it's not you like I did quite a difficult interview with him on yeah, my own last year or the year before and he was he rang me before and after it I think and yeah. was the same you have my number if you're worried about anything just yeah. ring me so I'm yeah I'm quite sad that he's not yeah. gonna be interviewing us next Thursday and I did my like, cancer interviews with him and he was really nice yeah. like he's a very nice man he's a he's very, very nice, nice man, man. Yeah. maybe we should go rogue when we're on with him when we're on with the other guy well, yeah, maybe. Mention it. Yeah, oh my God, imagine. <laughs> Take over You'd the airwaves. Like, well, we did think we'd be talking to Ryan today, Brendan. <laughs> that would or be. you could get up on Ryan Tuberty's shoulders and we could get like a really long overcoat. <laughs> and, <you could> just, <laughs> and he could just like come out and be like, I'm back, bitches. <laughs> get him back I have his coming. number. Like, I mean, you could give him a shout. We just need an overcoat now. Bring him now. Let's get him <laughs> Well, Sarah and Emer, thank you so much for coming all the way to Cork to do this with me. I truly could not be more grateful. I am, you know, I'm obviously on a personal level such fans of yours, but professionally such a fan of yours as well. 
I hope you start sleeping. Me because too. I have no doubt that this book is going to be a huge success and it's going to be received as warmly as I received it. Um, you should be so proud of what you've done. You really should. Thanks, Louise. Thank Even so just much. as women in Irish publishing, you've done something huge and you are so supportive of other women and that cannot be underestimated. So I love you guys. Oh, thank you, thanks. Louise. Get this off my thanks stage. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy the rest. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This week, joining me to shepherd us through the entertainment stories is the delightful Esther O'Moore Donoghue. There's lots to discuss, a last minute addition or revelation, I suppose, in terms of the Electric Picnic lineup, among other things. Enjoy. Esther O'Moore Donoghue, thank you once again for welcoming me into your abode. Once again, we've had a furniture change in the room. We've moved things around, new seasons coming, new configuration of the room. The room of shite is just getting more and more full of other bits. We've got the sofa in here now, we've moved sofa that Sofa in here now. Where's yeah. the new table? It's in the room of shite. Okay, I see. So we did a direct swap. We did a swap. Okay. I don't live in a mansion, but I do have a sofa and a table. Thank you. (laughs) She's rich beyond my wildest (laughs) dreams. Um, Well, we are here to discuss the week's entertainment stories, and there is a lot to talk about. And actually, the first story I was kind of like almost hesitant about including, but I heard so many people talking about this as if it was like interesting news that I was like, well, maybe we should. (laughs) I'm talking about the idol being cancelled. Yeah, as you were keeping the preamble, I was like, is she referencing a different story? Because are people really shocked by this? I don't know. No, but people are really talking about it. Yeah, slow news day. And here we are contributing to the slow news. Yeah, the idol's been cancelled now. Leila Latif, a writer for the Guardian wrote um, a few months ago that the idol was one of the worst programs and I quote the worst programs ever made so they along with 102 reviewers and Rotten Tomatoes who gave it 19% Rotten's will not be disappointed to hear that it has been cancelled after just one season and you know I think people were just excited for this it had so much potential huge budget Sam, Sam Levinson. Levinson did Euphoria everybody's into Euphoria yeah. the grittiness cinematography looks beautiful C- you know costumes great soundtrack incredible 
but the idol just was didn't work, baby. I I'm okay. I'm I just going to say it. Okay. I liked it. I've 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 alluded to it time several times Speaking on the truth. podcast. I actually did like it. I didn't yeah. think it was terrible. But I watched every single episode and I was like, ooh, something different, a bit sexy. How I was like, I was just thinking of me in one of those outfits that Lady Rose Depp at points. I was like, imagine me just walking around and be like a little ham in those bikinis. But I and I thought it was good, but like <laughs> from that point of view, the costumes are whatever. Could you just imagine me? And we're just I have a different size bust. Like, would you say that? I don't know. But it was the, the it was all over the place. It didn't kind of deliver on what it kind of set out, which I thought was going to be a bigger, kind of murkier, darker, culty kind of thing. It just all kind of fizzled away. Yeah, look, I mean, I think that, it, you know, from everything I've read about the development of the show, and we've said this a few times on here, it, it was originally kind of meant to be something different to what it ended up being. I just didn't think it was terrible in the way that everybody else did. Now, I did not under any circumstances think it was going to or should get a second mm-hmm. series. Like, that's why I was kind of surprised that people were talking about it this week that it got cancelled. Yeah. I was like, I can't believe there was ever a question of it getting another series. But I I did kind of enjoy it. Like, I thought there were interesting things in there. Like, I feel like if Britney Spears came out and actually told the truth about her life, there would probably be a lot of parallels between the kind of stuff that went on in that show and what she experienced. Oh yeah, I'd say the sleaze levels are probably accurate, yeah. but maybe it is just seem it's maybe it's just so distant from our from my lives. I mean, I'm not excited about moving the sofa in here, Louise. So yeah. I am <laughs> operating on a different plane, but I've no doubt that it's as murky and dark. Yeah. And there's so many, it, you know, they're kind of leechy people with dodgy ponytails, like the yeah. weekend coming in. But it just was kind of it was so it just kind of unraveled. It was like. I'm cycling, I'm cycling, I know what I'm doing. And it's like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Let's just crash the bike into the wall. It just, but it had potential and it's gone now. And I think someone, like one of the cast, um, what's his name? Uh, Moses Subney he was one of the oh, singers he was amazing in he it. was amazing and like to, he was given so, such a big chunk of airtime. like the pace of it was interesting because it really it it wasn't just you know scene after scene it did kind of allow for longer scenes and, yeah. kind of a, and a weirdness that we're not used to yes and it did feel weird yeah. like it felt weird but I was kind of okay with that yeah and I guess if you're in that maybe that's what it is you, when's daytime when's nighttime? yeah where are we going what we what we eat and what we wear and, I think I just am but, like I yeah. I'm fine with people not liking things that I like. Like, I have no issue with that. Like, I, not everything's for everyone. But I think the kind of, the way it's been written off as like, that is bad. Well, I, I don't really believe in that anyway, kind of, um, when it comes to culture stuff or art or whatever. Like, I think it's, everything is a matter of personal taste. And what's ter- what seems terrible to you won't seem terrible to someone else. And yes, I did just do an entire Patreon episode on it, just like that being bad. <gasps> I um, know. But, you know, I guess, I just, I just, I'm not sure it's as bad as some people kind of enjoyed saying it was. Yeah. But sorry, the reason I brought up Moses Sumney, who was a singer sorry. in the show, was that he thought it was a limited, he went into going thinking it was a limited series. I thought it was a limited series. Div- Divine Joy Randolph, who played one of her, uh, Jocelyn's managers thought they were going to get a second season. So maybe your managers tell you different things. Yeah. But I guess, yeah. But I think also maybe there is a part of it as well with things like that. People sometimes leap on things and get so vehement about things and this mm. is bad and we hate it because it's like, that's part of, the, part of the sport of it. Yeah. And it's like, what take can I give? What angle can I? Yeah. How can I slate it in a yeah. certain way? Because yeah, and just like that, the tempo and the pitch of that is all over the place. Yeah. It's it kind of getting it into its own now, but... I would watch that if they sat, you know, doing their, putting the, at the bottle bank. Oh, same. 
Good. So, but do you know what? I think I kind of felt like that about the idol as well. Like I would, I thought it was the people in it were amazing, and I think I'd probably just watch those people. Like I thought Lily Rose Depp was actually really good. The mm-hmm. weekend was probably the weakest for me. Anyway, it doesn't matter. You, I've made my opinion clear. It's being cancelled. It's gone. Or I the idol. Now this next one, my God. Um, so for a long, long time, the Electric Picnic lineup poster mm-hmm. has had one act blurred. And everybody was speculating about who it could be. And people were, I mean, people were really aiming high. It's going to be someone amazing, someone really exciting, someone fantastic, someone we might never have seen before in Ireland. And then this week it was announced that it is... The script. Hmm. So, script fans, delighted. Delighted. Don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm delighted for them. Look, you know, then they've had a bad, you know, that they'd have a tough... They have had a really, you know, a tough time. So I guess, it, you know, for their fans, they've wanted to see what the new configuration um, of the band will be. Yeah, look, I mean, I, no, I'm not, this isn't about shitting on the script. The script have their people. They have been hugely successful. I'm just not sure the Electric Picnic crowd was going to Electric Picnic with the script in mind as a headliner. Yeah, you know? they really amped it up. Yeah. What was I think the that's the problem. You didn't need to be, have it blurred. Yeah, it was it was Like, I much. almost feel like Westlife would have been better because, you know... Yeah, like, yeah. You know, there's yeah. a lot to be said for yeah. like a big kind of cheesy poppy act. Um, whereas the script kind of are, are different to that. And, you know, there will be lots of people who will be happy, but I'm just not sure that they're the people who will be going to Electric Picnic. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But, you know, they are, they're there and this is what's happening. And usually people are kind of, you know, have been at Festival Republic saying that maybe maybe less of the cloak and dagger kind of stuff. Just give it to us straight. Yeah, Tell there was no need. There was no need for it. Because they kind of set them up for failure. Yeah. This is the it's thing. Like, because pe- people's imaginations run away. It was like, is, is Esther Sofa going to be there? We heard she got it recovered. She's moved it in. Will that be on the stage? We don't know. <laughs> I heard Prince is coming back from the dead. <laughs> Prince, and he's going to be... Is Prince around? I mean, that's the kind of thing you'd blur out Prince. Yeah. If he, you know, if he was still around. But um, the script, anyway, they're going to be there and the killers are going to go on after them and script and Killers fans are going to be delighted on the Friday Billie Eilish uh, is going to um, be performing Saturday it's Fred again and Paolo Nutini and little note there Billie Eilish is the only female headliner yeah of the uh, festival um, that's the only the only bit of FOMO I have about Electric Picnic this year nothing against the festival I've just been to a lot of festivals this summer and I am tired of my life and her leg is in a leg um, brace but um but I really would love to be seeing Billie Eilish. I still haven't seen her live. She's like one of the only people that I feel like, after having seen Boy Genius and Muna this week, oh, yeah. one of the only people that I'm like, I really am dying to see her. Did you see she played a teeny tiny gig in the Electric Ballroom in London this week? Oh, and no. oh, it looked amazing. I was so jealous my friend was there. Um, she played a gig in a tiny venue and she said that, um, you know, it was the first time she played a small venue in six years. She was like, I don't even really remember how to do this. And she brought out um, Labyrinth. She brought out Boy Ooh. Genius. She like it, the gig was supported by Phineas. Her brother played with a band like it looked so fun and cool. I would have loved to have been there, but I'm still dying to see the big like arena or a festival show I just haven't managed to make it yet so yeah if you're going I'm jealous of that I thought it was interesting regarding the script that um the decision to announce late was actually theirs Melvin Ben from Festival Republic said they wanted a late announcement and we were very happy with the late announcement it was about timing it wasn't a gimmick it was about timing for them it wasn't about the creation of the hype or anything like that I don't know it's just tricky it's tricky like people had been saying Blink 182 it could be it could be Blur it could be Aphex Twin like 
you know, I think everybody expected an international act. And I think that then when it when it turned out to be not an international act yeah. and maybe people who haven't been, you know, super on it, the tip of everybody's tongue in recent times, it was just a bit Yeah, and maybe, I don't know, maybe there was something to do with they weren't sure if they were going to be able to perform because maybe mm-hmm. they're, you know, they're still grieving and yeah. whatever. But anyway, they'll be there. So if you're having, going down, have a great time. Don't bring a single use vape because you won't be allowed yeah. to bring them in. Yeah. Because how are they going to police that? I mean, that's impossible. Well, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Oh, someone's at the door. I got a big fright. Sorry about that. Okay. Hold, caller. One second. This could be Christmas. Hello. Thank you very much. Thanks for now. Bye. Bye. Um, and you know what it is? What is this? I bet you it's a, an Ashling book. Ooh. It is. Oh my god. After what perfect I was going to edit this out, but I won't now because it's just the arrival of Esther's pre-ordered Ashling Ever After yes. by Emer McLeisett and Sarah Breen, who we just heard from on the podcast, actually, because the entry slot is uh, oh. coming from our live chat at the Cork Podcast Festival oh, last no. week. So there you go. Timing. Now, uh, let's move on to our next story, which is about Adele and a super fan in the audience at her show in Vegas. This caused quite a kerfluffle on the internet. So there is a super fan, super, 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 super fan. And I was going to start, I was trying to sing Super Bass by mm-hmm. Nicki Minaj. That's what I was trying to do there. It didn't work out. I didn't commit to it enough. So it would have been a I tricky transition, but I respect. Super, 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 super fan is a super fan. Thank you. Juan Pablo, that's what he was called online, a super fan. Um, he was accosted by security during Adele's Las Vegas residency concert on Saturday um, because he had a... He was filming himself. He was in the front row. He kept standing up filming himself. He kind of had that one of those um, fisheye, basically the camera facing on him. Selfie stick kind of vibe. Selfie stick, yeah. He was filming his reaction and throughout security were coming over like, please sit down, you're in the front row, you're blocking people, da 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 da. Mm. And then at a certain point Adele says, what are you doing? Leave that person alone. Let them film. Let them live. And... They don't, you know, security aren't going to interrupt you, aren't going to... Um, disagree with Adele. Disagree with Adele. Disagree with Adele. Um, and so he, he, he spoke to TMZ and he said he was kind of sorry, not sorry. Because people were like, some people were then, you know, that's kind of rude. You're blocking other people's view, other people's experience, just so you can, uh, you can look at your reaction back to how you reacted to Adele, whatever, that's his choice. Um... He said, I'm sorry, I'm really am sorry. I only had one opportunity to see her and I took it. I took it as I wanted. I sang every song with her, I stood up. Well, most of the songs with her. The ones I wasn't bothered, I'm sorry. And then he was asked, did he truly mean his apology? He said, "Mm, I'm not really sorry. In part, I felt bad. When I was standing up, I had a little bit of a guilty feeling, but they could have stood up too. In every other section, there were people standing up. If someone stood up in front of me, I I would stand up and be above them. So he's saying, I, I, he got what he wanted. He was the main character in his movie of his life. And he's like, I'm sorry, but I am not sorry at the same time. I did not expect everyone in my section to be mad (laughs) at me for having the time of my life and wanting to stand up and sing with her. But I honestly did not care at all about what anyone was (laughs) saying to me. I was just in awe with the masterpiece I was watching with my own eyes. I did not have time for the haters. Like, here's the thing. Like, sure, you go to Vegas, you go to see Adele, you're a big fan. Like, obviously, you want to have a good time. You want to see, I get it. Like, it, you know, I think it's cool that Adele, from her perspective, was standing up for her fan. But at the same time, 
your good time can't supersede everyone else's good time. And we've, I feel like we just, this keeps coming up on the podcast because their fan behavior is just getting so out of control. So like if you having a good time means that the person behind you who, or t- three rows behind you who maybe can't stand up for medical reasons or like, uh-huh. you know, you're, this is not like a gig at a festival. This is in a theater. It's Vegas. It's very mixed crowd. You've got lots of older people. Like, you know, it, why is your good time more important than their good time basically? Yeah, it's, it's, inconsiderate it is inconsiderate I mean I think maybe if you stand I don't know if was he I didn't watch the whole stream of him standing up and down if it was constant you'd be like come on but if it, you know the odd song sometimes you kind of have to rise to your feet of roll course it, roll in the deep you don't expect him to sit down for that now Lisa. no I mean the big hits you stand up and, and that's fair enough at a seated gig or at the end everybody stands up you know I like I yeah. get it but like you just but have to it, be it respectful does, it does seem that people have sort of we've been like little sloths in our room just you know consuming things and some people have forgotten how to it is not an inter- it's not a dialogue and it's not your show and it's not just your solo experience but yeah and, and it's not thinking- your show it's it's not a show so that you can take the show and then create your own online content as a result of it like that's not the purpose of it either yeah well he said he wanted he he wanted that memory for a lifetime for me to see it in 10 20 years to show my kids well I would love to him document him pulling up that footage in 20 years time but maybe he will but I think that but then I was thinking is he a, is I was trying to search for him is he a big you know online presence like that people might know about that she yeah. kind of knew better oh I'll have to keep him on site mm. but anyway look that's what he did just mm. just remember you're not the only fan in the room I do that's I was it. I have to say really impressed by the crowd at Boy Genius um, because Boy Genius their tour has been very intensely like recorded and uh, farmed for content on TikTok and stuff mm. and there have been lots of reports of kind of fairly dodgy behavior at their gigs people singing so loudly that nobody else can hear people wailing and crying desperately so that nobody else can hear like people just filming for the entire gig there was one recently where Phoebe Phoebe was like she she stopped a song and she was like I can see like can you guys airdrop each other videos she said because one person is filming and then another person is ruining that video by lifting up their phone in front of them and then another person in front of them is lifting up their phone so everybody's like struggling to try and lift Mm -hmm. turn your airdrop on and everybody share whatever video you get and like you know she was kind of laughing but it is a lot but I on, on Monday in Dublin it was great because there was a song that she said, I, I usually ask people to put their phones away for this song. She said, but actually, I don't see that many phones. And I was like, yes, Ireland. <laughs> We're the winners. Love that. And like, obviously, there's no problem with taking a snippet or like, you know, I love to see snippets of other gigs. I, I've i loved reliving the gig um, through, you know, TikTok, through little bits mm-hmm. and pieces. But there's just no need to have your phone up for the entire gig so that everybody else's around, around you's view is is marred. And so that you're not even present there for the gig itself. So I think, I, I believe, that Irish fans are still behaving quite well. Yeah, and I'd like Beyonce to come here and do her every, Everybody on Mute challenge and then see if we win that as well also. <sighs> I would love if Beyonce came. Love. I really, I I really want to go tickets. to that gig again. Yeah. yeah, but also, you know, as you were saying, yeah, just let the experience wash over you. Take your yeah. snip snaps, take a little bit of content. Well, there. what was cool? And then just enjoy. I knew I I had like a pretty good spot. I had gold circle tickets for Boy Genius, which was great. Uh, meant you were like in the in the pit, basically. But I was at the back of the pit, and I knew that there would be plenty of youths yeah. toward the front of the pit who would be recording everything. So great. I was like, I need not. Later. I need not take a video. Yeah. Someone else will be doing it for me. And sure enough, they did. <gasps> Thank you, youths at the front of the pit. Um, 
Anyway, now let's talk about this. I actually was completely unaware of this, that there had ever been a rivalry between Miley Cyrus and Sinead O'Connor. But Miley's been talking about it. Well, it's been 10, I know you have this in your diary, it's been 10 years since Miley Cyrus released uh, Wrecking Ball. And it was sort of a, look at me, I'm a, you know, I'm in a different era and I've got short hair and I'm on a wrecking ball flying through the air. And it, you know, it caused a bit of a stir at the time. Um, you know, she transitioned from Hannah Montana <laughs> and people were like, what is she doing now? She's on, she's in the construction. Um, well, she was that whole time because she was also, that was like, we can't stop. That was her twerking on everything. It was like that phase where it was she was furry. Being, She was just trying everything and yeah. she was hanging around with your man from that band that I can't remember and she was, you know, was I really smoke. And she was, and she was 20 yeah. and she was just, you know, if I didn't have, ac- if I had access to that budget, would I have giant teddy bears following around the stage? Of course I would, Louise. Same. I'm only human. Same. Um, I'd be on a, I'd be on a digger kind of, you know, digging myself a flower bed or whatever. Anyway. Gyrating in the in the yeah, digging you part know the of it. Yeah, thing. Sure. I'd be in the bucket of the of the digger and I, of course you understand, you get it. You get I it. do, I you do. You see the vision. I do. Um and but at the time that you know uh Shinnett O'Connor wrote an open letter to Miley Cyrus saying, you know, you're being taken advantage of actually I have the letter here. It said Uh, Dear Miley, I wasn't going to write this letter, but today I've been dodging phone calls from various newspapers who wished me to remark upon your having said in Rolling Stone, your Wrecking Ball video was designed to be similar to the one for Nothing Compares. So this is what I need to say in the spirit of uh, motherliness and with love. She said she expressed concern for her, that she's been taken advantage of, that she's been sexualized, that she wasn't in control, that she wasn't making these decisions. And at the time, Miley said, in fact, um, I am and I know what I'm doing. Um, and that she, she, you know, Cyrus lashed out at Sinead O'Connor and mocked her mental health issues Mm. and compared her to her other former Nickelodeon star, Amanda Bynes, who also has had mental health issues. Um, And so in a recent interview with ABC promoting her new, um, a, a new single and, you know, the anniversary of that, of Wrecking Ball, she said, you know, she was only 20 at the time. She didn't realize, fully understand what, you know, what that could be like to, you know, be in Sinead O'Connor's head. And, um, and she, she kind of said, well, I, well, I didn't feel like I was being a puppet at the time, but she just acknowledged that she didn't understand Sinead's struggles. And, um, and it was sad though, but she never got to say that to her when she yeah. was alive and they never got to clear the air. And I'm sure they would have so much in common. They'd be able to share experiences. Oh my God, I'd like say that woman loads to say now. Because Miley's been on such a journey. Like she's seems so much more, empowered now in herself in her strength and you know she's very different now she's talked a lot about that era of her life and how it's kind of mortifying now but like as we say like that's what happens when you're 20 and you're testing your boundaries yeah and what a weird she's never really not been famous or never really been in a tv studio studio there's footage her like clambering up on stage and she was tiny little toddler or whatever with her step is her dad or step who's her he is her dad and billy ray cyrus and yeah. She's just always been famous. It's a weird thing to navigate. Yeah, and she's actually, I mean, when you compare her to some of the other people who were like teen, massive teen stars and have come up in the spotlight, she's actually done quite well, I think, and she seems to be in really good shape. Mm-hmm. I think it's good that, she's, that she said that, but it is, as you say, a shame that she didn't get to say it when Sinead was alive. Yeah. Well, Esther, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. I love Please. you. I love you. Where can people find you? You can find me at Esther Two Names. You can find me on my sofa. You can find me there. That's it. <laughs> that's it it's a lovely sofa thank you Esther thank you so much goodbye 
just about time for me to go, my pals. But would you believe I actually have some recommendations? I'm so proud of myself. I actually consumed some culture so that I could talk about it to you. And um, first thing I want to recommend is Starstruck. This is the series by Rose Matafeo. She is a New Zealand a Kiwi comedian. Will we call her a comedian? I hope we do because she's very funny. Um, but she writes and directs this series called Starstruck. I watched the first series a few years ago when it came out and absolutely loved it. And then I, it's one of those tricky ones because it's on the BBC. So it's kind of hard for us to access sometimes. But the first two series of it are actually on Netflix. So I hadn't seen the second series. So I decided I would rewatch the first series. It's only six episodes. So easy to digest. Um, and then watch the second series this week and I just absolutely loved it. The third series has just started airing on the BBC. If you have a way of accessing that, then you can watch it there. Um, otherwise, I'm sure it will end up on Netflix as well, or obviously there are more nefarious ways to access things like that on the internet. But it's just great fun. It's basically about a girl, normal girl, who um, hooks up with a like internationally famous actor on a night out and what happens from there. It's it's funny, it's lovely, it's she's great. I love her and um, highly recommend. I also went to see two films this week. Yes, I did. Can you believe it? I had um after I dropped Sam off to school on Wednesday, I had a meeting and then I kind of had an open day and I had been planning on doing like tidying and organizing um but I injured my knee, which actually I think you heard me referring to with Sarah and Emer there and I forgot to explain beforehand. Yeah, I I hurt my knee um, standing up too fast on a party bus because the Spice Girls came on. Um, but I really hurt it a lot. Uh, so I'm not particularly mobile at the moment, um, which means I can't really do a lot of like cleaning around the house or like active stuff. So I was like, well, I have no choice but to sit down. So I might as well go to the cinema. So I did. And I actually managed to squeeze in two films and I loved them both. The first one was called Scrapper. I had been dying to see it since I saw the trailer online a good few months ago. It's an English film. It's an hour and 24 minutes long. Guys, a stunning length, a stunning length. And um, it is about a little girl who the actor is so brilliant. Her name is Lola Campbell. I think it's the first film she's ever made. She plays a little girl called Georgie, who is living on her own um, after the death of her mother. Um, that sounds really bleak, but it's actually really charming and funny. She is gorgeous. Um, she's this really like bullshit little girl who's playing the system and convincing people that she's living with her uncle and she's fine. But then her dad, who she doesn't know, turns up. Um, and I found it, really charming funny but also it absolutely broke my heart um don't know I maybe hmm Louise wasn't a good idea to go and watch a film about a little blonde girl trying to fend for herself and difficult family situation a little too close to home for you perhaps um lots of things on my list of things to discuss with my therapist but um I think anyone would enjoy it it it, it definitely has these beautiful like really heartbreaking moments but um it's overall just like charming and lovely and I can't recommend it enough as I said it's called Scrapper I think it's in the cinema for one more week and if you don't get it in the cinema maybe look out for it uh, on the other side I'm sure it'll be available streaming somewhere and then I went to see theater camp and fellas this could have been made for me all I ever wanted when I was a kid 
as I said earlier, was to be in musical theatre. It's all I wanted. Um, I, the school musical every year was like the biggest thing in my life. I remember one year I was really sick during the auditions and I still forced myself to go to school so that I could audition and my voice didn't really work and it was really hard, but like I couldn't not be part of the musical because we used to rehearse it for like two and a half months and that would be my life for those two and a half months. Um, I was so obsessed, so obsessed. And the idea of going to a camp, I, I did go to like the odd week long summer camp or whatever, you know, day camp near our house in America and stuff, but never going away to like stay in a camp, a musical theater camp was always my dream. So this film is a mockumentary set in a musical theater camp in upstate New York. It is so funny. It is so smart and so charming. I really love it. If you watched um, The Bear in season two, Carmi's girlfriend is played by an actor called Molly Gordon, who also is one of the uh, co-directors and I believe writers of this film. And she is in it as well. And she's brilliant. Just so funny. Ben Platt is um, her co-star. It's just really funny and charming and self-aware. And I loved it. I can't recommend it enough. How long is it? Um, how long is the length? Let's find out. Oh, an hour and 33 minutes. Guys, we're winning. Yes. Tight 90, tight 90. Um, so yeah, if you can sneak away for 90 minutes to go and enjoy that, I would highly recommend that as well. It was such a lovely, a lovely day. Felt very indulgent um, and lovely. And I'm just so happy that I actually have things to recommend to you. Got a lot of reading to do this week. That's my plan. So hopefully I'll have some book recommendations for you next week. Um, and yeah, that's about it. As I said, there is that full Cork Podcast Festival episode will be going up on the Patreon next week. Last week, um, or rather this week, the culture episode went live, which is a discussion of and just like that with Sophie White. Why, why do I love it? Even though I know it's bad. We explore all of that kind of stuff and digest the most recent series and the series as a whole. Um, and then there will be a mailbag episode coming up on the Patreon the week after next. So don't forget to send me your thoughts, your opinions, your comments, things you wish we were talking about, things you'd like to hear my opinion on. Still, you know, that's very humbling that you would want to hear my opinion on anything. But here we are. That's what we're doing here, I suppose. And the number to voice note is 089-209-6423. That's 089-209-6423. Voice notes preferred, but if you are more comfortable sending a text message, that's okay too. I do respond to them on the mailbag episode as well. So if you want to join the Patreon, the link is in the show notes. You obviously get access to everything that's ever been posted there as well. So there's lots of extra stuff. Um... Yeah, I suppose that's it. I will bid you adieu. I will see you next week. I will talk to you next week. Um, I hope you have a good one. Thank you so much to Acast and all of my contributors. Um, if you can't have a good one, that's okay. We'll just put one foot in front of the other and we'll be together again next week. I love you. Goodbye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.